Look with me in the Bible today in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off last time. We're going to start in verse 16, but we will read verse 15 with this. And let's get right into it today. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, you've heard the scripture quoted before that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. The prophet looked at himself and said, Man, Lord, you've put this body together. You've made a wonderful and a miraculous thing. And men and scientists have looked at the human body for over the years and thought, Man, that, what a complex piece of machinery. The sin that does so easily besetteth does also kill us. And so it, it makes ravages in the body, cancers, and, and it does terrible things to our joints. And uh, it, it breaks our teeth and it our, tears out our hair. And uh, the body is corrupted by sin. There's no question about that. But uh, even so, even having considered all the illness, illnesses of the body and, and faultiness of the body, it is a fearfully and a wonderfully made thing. Think about life itself. Our second president, John Adams, he said, Miseries upon miseries and troubles upon troubles. He said, Notwithstanding this is a merry world indeed. Uh, sin is uh, certainly taken its toll on the world and on the body itself. But what a wonderful place we live in. What a great blessing it is to live uh, on this planet and in this place. And uh, The body is sick and it has aches and pains, but what a wonderful body it is. And that's what, that's what the, the Old Testament prophet was saying. He was saying, uh, Lord, the, the heavens are your handiwork. And it's a wonderful place, even touched by man's sin and, and things ruined by man's sin. It's a wonderful place. And the body is a wonderful place. But besides the human body, there's a greater body than that that exists uh, on this planet today. And I'm not talking about reptilians or any other conspiracy from outer space you might have heard of. I'm talking about a sure enough outer space alien that's living on this world. And that is, and I shouldn't call it an alien because it's right at home because that's where God put it. But I do say it's from another world because it's originated by God. And that's the body of Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Well, what he's talking about is the body of Christ. We studied it in chapter 2. We've studied it many times. We've studied it uh, again in chapter 4. We've studied this thing a couple of times already since we have begun the book of Ephesians. But this body of Christ is a wonderful body. And it's, in verse 15 he says, Even Christ, from whom... The whole body fitly joined together. So Christ is the head and from Christ grows the rest of the body. So we ought to never forget that Jesus Christ is the, our head. He is our king. He is our, uh, he is our chief uh, apostle. He is the leadership of the church. He's the inspiration of the church. He's the guiding hand of the church. He is the creator of the programs of the church. We, we don't, he doesn't need our help in making any plans about how to go about being a church or how to go about building a church. He certainly has built the church himself. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That church which sticketh closer to Christ will be the best church. 
That church which stays as close to Christ as possible will be the most effective church. And he says, from Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Well, this, what he's talking about here is the body is fitly joined together. He didn't attach the arm to the nose. The Lord put the church together exactly as he wanted it to be put together. I've said this many times, and I, I mean it, and I want to reemphasize it. Everyone who has ever been in the church is still in the church today. I, I don't believe in a universal church because I don't believe everyone is saved. I believe Jesus died for every man, but I do not believe that every man will be saved. I do not believe that every man has the faith to be saved. Well... I'm not a Calvinist by any means, but I do believe that there is an elect. And those people who are elect are those people who will hear the word of God. And the word of God will produce faith in them. And they will put their, not just put faith in them. Uh, that faith has to be acted upon. And you must put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must trust him as your Savior. You can see a thing and believe a, believe a thing. But that belief in and of itself doesn't save you because there are devils who believe and fear and tremble and all these things. Well, you, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Well, what must I do after I uh, hear and what must I do after I believe what I've heard? You must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. That is uh, Romans chapter 10. There's no question about that. You can't get around that. Well, another verse says this. I know what the other verses say, but the other verses are not st separate and stand alone. We compare scripture with scripture. We compare spiritual things with spiritual things. We rightly divide the word of God and we come up with our doctrines and we see the greater truths of the thing. In the Pauline writings, Romans doesn't stand separate from Ephesians. So we put these things together and we see great truths. Romans 10 doesn't stand separate from Romans 6 or 3 or 5 or any of the other ones. And so I'm thankful for that uh, truth. I'm thankful that we're able to see that once a man is saved, once he has been given faith from the word of God once he has placed that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, not only we use the word accepted Christ I think the hardest part is for man to accept his condition uh, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and he accepts you you call on him to save you and he accepts you and we use some kind, sometimes loose terminology, and I'm not going to harp on that. I do that myself. But I, w I do want to be technical, and I do want to make these things as clear as possible. So we get faith from the Word of God. The Lord said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. And so he uses means by which to draw all men to himself. He used the preacher. He used the word of God. He used the Holy Spirit. He used that gospel witness. He used the gospel itself. And so God, when he says, I'll draw all men to me, he's not talking about some, some past event before the foundation of the world. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. When a man hears the word of God, he has faith. When he has faith, he decides whether or not he's going to accept his condition or go about his, oh, I believe in Jesus. I've heard many people say, I believe in Jesus, all right, but I just ain't ready to get saved well you better get ready because that's what's required of you that's what's required to be put into this body when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ see I just use that terminology technically when you hear the word of God when you believe the word of God when you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ he accepts you he chose he has chosen he has elected some 
Who is that some? People who would believe and who would call upon him. When you fulfill your responsibility, man walked away from God on his own. Jesus provided a way of escape. Once the Lord has provided that way of escape, it's your job to get on that road that leads to him. The Bible says there's two roads. There's a straight and a narrow way. And there's a broad way that leads to destruction. It's your job. You you hear it. You see it. How shall they hear without a preacher? You hear it. You see it. You call on the name of the Lord. And you are chosen. You're chosen because you're a believer. You are a believer on the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, once you are accepted, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, you're accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Once you are accepted by Christ, you're placed into his own body and you're a growth. And God puts you in the right place. God puts you in the place where you need to be. God puts you in the place where you can do uh, the most good, first of all, for yourself. You can learn well, and then you can teach well. You can receive well, and then you can give well. And he said, so that's what he means when he says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, the body is fearfully and wonderfully made. The physical body is fearfully and wonderfully made. So we're talking about now, uh, to get back to my line of thought, I don't believe in a universal church because everybody's not saved. But those who are saved, whether it be Paul in days of old or whether it be myself right here in the present, if you were in the body of Christ, you still are in the body of Christ. And throughout eternity, you shall be in in the body of Christ. The, The dispensation of the age of grace, I believe, will end. The Bible says that there's new moons and Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come there will be a uh, there will be a restoration of Israel there will be some exciting things out in the future but the dispensation of the of grace the dispensation of the church the church age will end but the church will never end see Christ will come and rule and reign our mandate here is not to rule and reign our mandate here is to go into all the world and preach the gospel that that ordinance will change that ordination will change that mandate will change and when it changes you'll be in a different dispensation a man that doesn't believe in dispensations not reading his bible uh, very thoroughly and he should he should he should forget the he, sh- he should forget the chains that bind you to old thinking and, and forget the chains that bind you to denominational thinking. And when I say old, th- old thinking, I do- I'm not talking about anything in regards to the truth. I'm talking about the old idea that this man taught it and that man taught it and the scholars believe this and the scholars believe that. So I've got to stick with it wholeheartedly no you have to stick with the word of God wholeheartedly and when you get saved when you when when the Lord accepts you and places you into the body he places you into a place where you can grow first of your own benefit and then you can grow to the benefit of others verse 12 for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ And so he says in verse 15, even Christ, verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase to the body, increase of the body, unto the edifying of itself. So 
Here's a thought against selfishness. He says for the perfecting of the saints in verse 12, when you're perfecting the saints, you're perfecting yourself. See, we have a a stingy, selfish attitude. It's the attitude of Adam. It's it's the attitude of the Adamic nature. We're self-satisfying. Me first and you next. I don't mind helping you, but I need the strength to help you. And that's not far-fetched. It's just not a good attitude. See, a Christian can't help other Christians until he himself is established. But the very first day you can get sa- the very first day you got saved, you probably can't go tell somebody else how to run their lives or live their lives. But you can tell them how to have life. You can say, "Hey, uh, come see what great things the Lord had done for me." The, the Lord saved me. The Lord can save you. You can do that immediately. So don't get me wrong about that. That implements. Uh, a attitude that's beneficial to others but in a technical sense you really need to be concerned about yourself when you first get saved you need to learn you need to learn the doctrines you need to learn to pray you need to foster that care for others if I was lost others are lost if I was on my way to hell other people were on their way to hell so I can do something about that and in doing that you can begin to foster a care and concern for others at the same time you'll run into questions that you can't answer and that will inspire you to get in the word of God uh, more heavily and learn more so that be very beneficial to you and in which case you'll get the beam out of your eye and then you'll see clearly to get the moat out of somebody else's eye so from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted the church is not a loose organization again I say Everybody who's ever been in the church is still in the church today. Whether they've died and gone on to be with the Lord makes no difference. The Lord is the head. It's not hard for me to believe that a person who has died and gone to be with the Lord, which is our head, is still in the body. There's no, there's no question about that. And in that case, I, I don't believe in a local assembly only. This is not the only church. There's many churches all over the world. But we're all part of the same body. And though we be spread out over all the earth, this is the point I'm trying to make. Though we be spread out across all the earth, we're still compacted. What are, how, you say, well, compact means to be drawn in close together. If we're spread out all over the earth, how are we compacted together? Because we're all in our right place. The Bible's not speaking about the largeness or the smallness of the body or the widespread or the localization of the body. He's talking about the compacting of the body because every person, because everything is put in exactly the right place. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted. What's it compacted by? It's compacted. It gets its tightness it gets its cohesion. It gets, you know, in a military unit, they use the word, we're all tight. We're, we're close together. I know what to do. He knows what to do. When I'm doing my job, I know what he's doing. Our timing's right. Our, our uh, movements are coordinated. Everything is right as it should be. That's what you're talking about when you're talking about being compacted. Your body, your hand is not 10 miles away while your foot is... 13 miles over in this direction, your body's compacted. 
And how is it compacted and put together? It's put together by that which every joint supplieth. You know how to lose the operation of your, of your right hand to lose the benefit of a right hand? That's if something goes wrong with the joint in your wrist or the joint in your elbow. If that elbow goes bad and cuts off circulation or if that elbow gets bad and the tendons and ligaments are disconnected from some way, the hand loses its effectiveness because my hand is compacted it's tight knit with my brain because everything between my brain and my shoulder joint and my elbow joint and my wrist joint and my knuckle joints and my hand joints they're all connected solidly and soundly therefore my right hand works solidly and soundly when the pastor and the assistant pastor and the deacons and the church members are all connected from the brain, which is Christ, the head, which is Christ, and there's no schism, there's no separation. That's what a schism is. It's a separation. It's a division. When there's no bitterness, you say, well, I got arthritis in my arm and I can't even hardly use it anymore. Well, that's a schism. That's a divider. Some people's divider is uh, Catholicism. Some people's divider is Calvinism. Some people's divider is some, some uh, crafty doctrine that's separated between them and their brethren. Some people's dividing factor is their, uh, some people's arthritis is their bitterness or their jealousy or whatever sin that so easily besets us. But it's there in the church. And that's why the Bible says at the end of this age will come together with in the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man again that's not the period unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that's a large stature but the Bible says we will be conformed not me that the Bible doesn't say I am predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son the Bible says we as a body are predestinated to be conformed to the, to the image of his son so that I without you cannot be uh, bonded to Christ in the fullness of his stature but we have to do that together the church has to do that together and that's the sense of the rapture that the church be drawn away that the church be caught out and joined to the head and fully compacted long before it returns in Romans chapter uh, 19 uh, to rule and reign over the earth so he says that the body is compacted by that which every joint supplies. The joint in my shoulder uh, allows the, the, the middle portion of my arm to, to function correctly. That middle joint in my arm, that elbow, allows my wrist to perform correctly. The, not, just the, not just the muscles, not just the ligaments, not just the tendons, but the nerves and the blood and everything together compacts the body. It, it connects. The, the furthest thing from the top of my head is the tip of my toe. And the Bible says the head cannot say to the foot, I have no need of thee. The foot is the most un comely part the Bible says in other words it's the ugliest part it's the smelliest part but he's he's using that illustration in relation to the church the head Christ will not say to the most unlovely of Christian I have no need of thee the Lord has a need for you the Lord has a need for you and the re that that need is to fulfill its part and when you're fulfilling your part 
The body is compacted together. The head's connected. The head is connected all the way to the foot. Though there be many parts in between, though there be many working parts, when the church is divided, those parts are separated. It's not compacted together. It's divided. It's separated, and that's a terrible sin. The Bible uh, leads us to believe. And it says that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. My forearm has to work good. My, my upper arm has to work well. My brain has to work well. And the brain of the body of Christ is always going to work well. But each part in between the head and the hand has to work well. Or else the hand will suffer. It will be separated in some measure. And so that's why he says, you know, you might get some use. You might get uh, uh, partial use of an arm or a limb of some kind. Even your heart may only work, uh, a portion of it may be working or, or even part of your lungs may be destroyed. And that's the same thing that can, that can happen in the body of Christ. And that's what keeps us from coming to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. When he's talking about the perfect man, he's not talking about you as an individual. He's talking about the church as an individual. The body of Christ, Christ as its head, the church all working in unison. And that will take place at some day in time. But as you and I well know, there are many divisions in the body today. And the church would work much better were the divisions not there. So, well then let's all get together. But we have to get together on the truth. The Bible says that there must be false doctrines among us. And that those false doctrines show us who uh, and what could be the problems. And when we unify ourselves with like-minded believers, it's as close as we can possibly get until the, until the Lord raptures us out, until the Lord gathers us together. Being together with like-minded believers is as close as you can possibly get to effective Christianity. And that's what we, that's what we like to do. We like to find like-minded brethren. We like to get together sometimes with people who have contrary views or doctrines. And we'll study it out with them. We'll look at it with them. We're not, we don't want to burn each other to stake. We don't want to have terrible rivalries. In some cases, we might can get together and do some things that... Uh, that frankly we just can't do by ourselves I have no absolutely no problem whatsoever with uh, uh, being around fellowshipping with somebody that's a, a Calvinist and in some cases church of God and uh, you know as long as uh, we're talking about the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and th that's uh, effectuality and saving our soul and that's the only thing that can save our soul. As far as we can walk together, we will walk together. Let me just shave a lot of time off of the sermon by saying that. Whatever you believe, as far as we can walk together, we can walk together. But then how can two walk together lest they be uh, agreed? So I can't walk together with anybody who claims to uh, cannibalize the body of Christ uh, through the Mass. I can't uh, get together on uh, the worship of Mary. I can't get together on the worship of idols, uh, images. The Bible says not to make an image of God, let alone make an image of, of Mary or any other thing. Can't get together on things like that. And I can't get together on infant baptism. I can't baptize anybody who doesn't believe. I can't get together on uh, such things as uh, some men are uh, predestinated to go to hell and some are predestinated to go to heaven. I can't get together on that because the Bible says that some men who were bought 
uh, were going to hell. So that's you can find that in the scripture for yourself. We don't have time to go through all that, but uh, the Bible says they denied the Lord that bought them. Now, there, the, when the Bible says something as clear as that, I can't get together on this, uh, the, what essentially turns into philosophy about uh, foolish questions and all this sort of thing. I can't get together on those things. But I'm not out to burn anybody at the stake. And as far as I possibly can, I'll be in unity with believers. And that's absolutely acceptable to me. I'm, uh, I can't uh, get behind a backbiter. I can't get behind somebody who's, who's intentionally causing um, division, a, a murmurer, an adulterer, or anything, any such thing as that. I can't do that. But there is, that's what I'm trying to get across to you in this point. There's a measure, see, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part. Some parts work well and some parts don't. When there's a part that doesn't work well, another part further down the line is going to suffer for it. If we don't get our doctrine straight now, later on down the road, people are going to suffer for it. If we turn off a wrong path and believe a wrong doctrine right here, well, we got to go back and get on the right path. We can't make a clean out of an unclean. The only person that can do that is Jesus Christ by saving a man's soul. But the Bible says who can bring an unclean or who can bring a clean thing from an unclean? Not one. When you make wrong turns on the road of doctrine, you have to get back on the right road. So at some point down that road, things are going to fall apart and you're going to run into some questions that can't be answered. And then you're going to have to say something stupid like, I don't, it's not my job to unscrew the unscrutable. And then you're going to, you're, 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 what you're doing is leaving a big black space where God has already filled in the blanks of that mystery. So as, as far as the measure goes... Men who teach some false doctrines can be very beneficial. I've had uh, many times when I've listened to people like Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a Calvinist, Ian Paisley, who's a Calvinist, John MacArthur, to an extent, who is a Calvinist. I, I can't go too far with, with John MacArthur. Uh, so I, sometimes I like to hear what he says. I just don't like to hear that NASB that he reads. But he learned out of a King James Bible, and so what he knows, he knows from a King James Bible. His preaching matches a King James Bible. Bible a lot of times, but his Bible don't match a King James Bible, so I don't go that way. If you want to go that way, that's your business. I'm not going to burn you at the stake for it, but there's a measure of effectiveness of all the parts. I believe Jesus is a part of the body. I believe that each believer is a part of the body. I believe it all has an effectual working, and it'll work according to, not better than, a, a, a part of your body can't work better than its measure. If, if your muscle can lift 50 pounds, that's all it can lift. You go further than that, you're going to hurt yourself. Now you work up, see, and then you, you move up slowly. And that's exactly what Christians do. They get spiritual exercise. They build their abilities. And that, that's certainly understandable. But if a thing is, if something is tainted, if something's restricted by something that's not correct, if your own life is restricted by something that's not correct, you're not going to go any further in your development until that thing is taken care of. The Bible says the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. The two are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do, you cannot do the things that you would. Why can't you do the things that you would? If you would do something spiritual but you're hindered by carnality, why can't you do those spiritual things? Because it's beyond the measure of every part. It's beyond the measure of, of the part. 
He says, every joint supplieth. How does it supply? It's How much does it supply? According to the effectual working in the measure of every part. And according to that measure of every part, it maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So if you've got, uh, if you've got uh, an arm that can lift 50 pounds, you try 55. You try 75, you're going to hurt yourself. You try 100, you're going to drop it on your chest and break yourself. What I'm talking about is gradual growth, getting at, correcting the things that are hindering the effectuality or the ability of that part, which the part is you. Amen. And the more that you grow in the Lord, the more abilities that you have, the better connection that's made between the parts. And it, you're, you're, though if, if you're taking what you're, you learn and taking what you experience and you're edifying the body of Christ, then that body gets closer and closer. Though the foot be uh, six feet uh, away from the head, it's compacted more closely. You know what they call that in, in physical therapy? They call that hand and eye coordination. Well, the hand becomes more skilled through use. The Christian becomes more skilled through use. Use of the Bible, use of prayer, use of the tongue in witnessing, use of the tongue in preaching. And the body. The more these things are exercised, the more ability each part has, the tighter the group gets. It's compacted together. The... The layman in the congregation is better suited for the Christian life because those that are leading him have become closer to Christ. Those that are serving as laymen with him in the body of Christ are getting closer to Christ. And so their abilities grow stronger. They pray for one another more. They teach one another more. They teach to one another better. There's, there's an increase to the body. See, that's what it says. It says... Uh, the body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Edifying means to build up. Edifying means to, that's why you say that edifice. That's a beautiful edifice on the front of that building. Well, that's what it's talking about. It's the beauty. It's the splendor. It's the glory. It's the ability. It's all these things. It's the building up of those things. A lot of times in modern day buildings, you see a wonderful and a beautiful front end of a building. The, the curb appeal, the side of the building that faces the road is glorious. It's brick and it's stone and it's stucco and all these wonderful looking things. But you walk around to the side and it's cinder block or uh, OSB or whatever that wood's called. That, that goes underneath the brick and siding and all that stuff. Well, the front looks good, but the rest of the building, not so much. That could be said for the body of Christ. That could be said for the church. Uh, the Bible says uh, that Jesus Christ is our head. He's the face. He's the cornerstone. He's the curb appeal. He's the side of the building facing to the road. The Bible says we're to build ourselves up. We're to grow in the, in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so that will make the building better. It'll make the building stronger. It'll make the building more uh, effective. And that's what we're talking about. The building. We're using the building as the body. And there certainly is a lot of truth to that. 
Amen. All right. I think we're going to leave off right there. Uh, the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. A lot of times we pray to the Lord, and we should. But the Bible does clearly say that we know not what we uh, should pray for as we ought. But the Holy Spirit prayeth for us. He says with groanings that cannot be uttered. Well, I think a portion of that is, is sometimes we pray for things. We pray for certain uh, reliefs. We pray for certain consolements. And truly, God is the God of all comfort. He's the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But the Lord has supplied such a fearfully and wonderfully made body that it could, it could do a lot of things uh, for itself. I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray. I'm absolutely not saying that you shouldn't pray. But a lot of the things that we often pray for are things which is built into the mechanism. If the church would be compacted, if it would use its, uh, its effectual gifts to the uh, strengthening of itself, then it would also edify itself. And so a lot of the prayers that we prayed have already been answered when God gave us the Word of God. A lot of the prayers that we pray for have already been answered and God has given us a way of escape that we can escape temptations. God's given us the Bible. He's given us a prayer in and of itself, but He's given us pastors and teachers. He's given us the opportunity to be obedient. He's given us the opportunity of repentance. He's given us so many things that work effectually in the body that would edify us and build us up. Oftentimes we pray, God, build me up. God, help me and all these things. But God's already given us the answer to those prayers. God sometimes just simply gives us the fortitude to get through things until we're, excuse me, smart enough to edify ourselves in love. Till we're smart enough to take advantage of the gifts that he's given us already. Let me simplify it. Many of the prayers that we pray have already been answered through the gifts that God has given us to live the Christian life. Whether they be the, the gifts for each individual in the book of Corinthians chapter 12 or whether it be the men that God has gifted to be gifts to the church God has already answered many of the prayers that we pray so how does God answer their prayers he gives us the fortitude let me ask the question again how does God answer how does God himself answer our prayers when we're praying for him to do something that he's already done for us well he gives us the fortitude to endure until the light of the scripture shines in our heart until we're convinced uh, to follow these mechanisms to follow these doctrines to follow these methods that God has given us that leads to supply verse 16 compacting unity verse 16 Supply, as I said, verse 16. Effectual working, verse 16. The measure of every part, each body doing its, doing its potential work. Increase of the body, verse 16, unto the edifying of itself. God gives us the fortitude until a, a, a preacher, a sermon, the word of God itself, study, prayer, whatever the case might be, gives us the insight to avail ourselves of these wonderful things that God has already given us. So many times God gives us the answer to our prayers by giving us the fortitude to withstand, to endure, 
until our eyes see the truth of the Word of God and take account of or take advantage of the gifts that He's already given us. The divine nature. You could use the divine nature to sum that up in and of itself. All right. The next time we meet together, we'll uh, get into verse number 17. Verse number 17. God bless you. Thank you for coming.